0: Welcome to the Water People Podcast. Today, we're in conversation with Haley Talbot. She's a former competitive surfer who found her home in freshwater. She was the first person to solo kayak the 400 kilometer journey from the source of the Clarence River to the Coral Sea in Australia. We'll hear from Haley in a moment, but first we wanted to remind you about a competition we're running to thank you all for listening with us. Our sponsors, Sunuk and Gary McNeil Concepts, have teamed up to help us give away a brand new board and a quiver of comfy footwear. To enter, all you have to do is leave us a rating and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. When you like, comment, or share about the podcast, it really helps us get a bit of extra funding to keep making Water People podcasts. So thank you. And thanks again for listening with us, and we really look forward to giving someone a brand new board just in time for the holiday season. We'll announce a winner in episode 13. Enjoy. In 2017, Haley Talbot found herself mired in the monotony of raising two young children. She'd yearned to know more about the source of the Clarence River, her home river, where she'd grown up and surfed around the river mouth. But she knew she wanted to find out where the water came from, where where the river started. She planned a kayaking trip, having never kayaked before, and learned wilderness skills to prepare for almost anything she might encounter. Her goal was not to have to rely on anyone but the river for survival, and to be able to model real self-sufficiency for her young boys and real belonging. She took no food. She paddled into unpoliced remote territory known to house criminals and runaways escaping the law. She broke her arm on day two crawled and dragged her boat over impassable gorges and waterfalls for the first 100 kilometers. <laughs> she actually crawled more than, more than she paddled in those days. Um, but eventually she became the first person to navigate the river from source to sea solo. Yeah, 400 kilometers in 14 days of melting into the river that she came to Noah's home. She's now a self-proclaimed river daughter.
1: So we encountered Haley uh, just through friends really, mutual friends around the north coast. And actually, Haley and Daniel Ross, a great surfer from the Yamba region, uh, came to one of our Patagonia film nights uh, near Byron Bay recently, and that's where we started to really learn the depth of her amazing adventure and also the uh, number of risks to the Clarence River and the ecology and the social um, thriving community there and how concerned they are about mining and damming coming to that amazing river. So that's where that connection started uh, taking shape. And it was just perfect timing for us to be able to come through on our second transparency trip down the east coast of Australia. That and, we're currently
0: on right yeah, now. Yeah, that,
1: that we're ex- exactly where all uh, feral and salty and crusty and sunburnt and uh and happy and loving it um, <laughs>
0: we've been getting to sit around real campfires and hear real <laughs> yeah, exactly. stories and well actually we've been falling asleep before it even gets dark <laughs> with him and over we've been trying with the sun to. <laughs> up with the sun yeah
1: but yeah so the idea of coming through this coastline and stopping in and being with friends in each of the coastal communities that we're passing through actually occurred 10 years ago exactly to the day and the idea of our first transparency trip was to do something meaningful, have a purposeful nature to some travel, but do it in a slow way. And so that way was through little Hobie kayaks, these little sailing um, trimarans. And so four of us got on these crafts and over 36 days we went from Byron to Bondi and met a lot of friends along the way and did a lot of beach cleaning and sat with and sailed with a lot of whales, the recovering humpback whale population. Uh, It was an amazing adventure and it changed everyone's life and we vowed to do it every 10 years till we're in the grave. I think now doing it the second time, we're actually saying we need to do it every five years because it's so much fun. Absolutely. Um, But this time we all have children. So uh, I've been joking that I'd love to leg rope our little boy to the mast of the ship and start sailing down the coast, but I don't think he's quite ready for that at two years of age. So we're sort of road tripping and doing a bit of sailing and doing a bit of road tripping.
0: Plenty of um, surfing.
1: At this point, yeah. So so that was when we managed to come in to Yamba and spend time with Rossi and Hayley and really start to learn about the issues there and learn about the amazing community that are working to protect it because it is this big Healthy, the biggest and the healthiest river of our great northern rivers region which we all depend upon it's kind of at the head of it all because whatever happens there is going to float downstream which is basically that inshore drift that happens from the south to the north in this part of the world bringing all the sand that makes all the point breaks so beautiful and perfect all the way up to Fraser Island so we're talking about all of the Yamba region, the Byron Bay region, uh, Ballina, you're talking about Um, the Tweed Coast, the Gold Coast, all the famed point breaks of the Gold Coast, all the way up to the islands, the big sand islands, then Noosa and the Sunshine Coast, and then all the way up to Fraser Island. So really, whatever happens at the Clarence is going to have a flow-on effect to all of those places, and that's why we're so fired up and we really want to support that community and urging anyone who's got any kind of uh, surfing or coastal link to anywhere in that region to participate specifically in the petition that's going around right now to uh, ensure that the damming and the mining at the headwaters of the Clarence doesn't happen. And that's the, the joy of doing a trip like this. You have time to have a surf, to sit around, pick up some rubbish, meet some really knowledgeable locals, make new friends and, yeah, stir up a bit of good trouble. Mm. So that's always a, a great thing and it seems to happen more and more when we slow down, so moving in this slow way for for a few weeks even um, can really create the space for good things to happen. Like having a chat with Hailey.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll, um, we'll post links to the petition that Haley and her crew have put together. They need to get 20,000. Ten sorry, 10,000 signatures, Twenty but thousand are aiming would be for 20,000. <laughs> yeah. 10,000 signatures in order to get it to a
1: governmental level, yeah, so that we can start the the process of legally protecting it and locking out such industries.
0: We began the conversation where we always do, with a question about a time or experience after which Haley was never the same.
2: That moment that kind of really um, was shifting for me was going on this trip to South Africa. Mm and seeing this elderly couple next to me hold hands as the plane took off. And it just broke me. Like, I saw all of this life in the backs of these hands. And I was leaving my family for 10 days to be a bridesmaid in my best friend's wedding in South Africa. And I saw their hands, and I just felt the sting of breaking away from my my little people. And uh, I cried. I was crying on the plane, just looking out the window. And... I thought, okay, I'm leaving them. If I'm gonna leave them, I'm just gonna live every single second and just be open to every moment, say yes to every adventure, and just live. And I landed in in on that continent with a whole other heart space and and I feel like that, that energy just attracted other types of energies and placed me in the path of of wonder. And I went diving with great white sharks and climbed Table Mountain and as we got to the top, there were these Namibian hikers that just broke into song and, and you know, I was with my girlfriends and we just started singing along with them. It was one of those ones you could join in on and there were so many beautiful moments like that. And out in the bush, just, you know, following rhinos in the rain in the middle of the bush and so many moments like that that were deeply, deeply shifting and... I came home changed forever. I I had a new appreciation for just the moment and I changed and I never changed back. And really that's where everything began because I came home and I looked at the faces of my children and I thought, okay, I need to lead you. I'm not going to leave the men that I hope and that I know that you can be to chance. I want to get skills and I want to teach you things. And then I had to sit with, whoa, like there's... So much stuff I don't know. I want to get those skills so I can teach them. And so I really embarked on this journey of, you know, grow, give, learn, teach. They were with me for so much of my preparation. But the intervening time there was this, when we had to go to Sydney in 2015 and we left here. We were here and we went to Sydney for a year and my husband was working long hours. I was away from my family. The children were very, very young and I fell into a despair. I just, I felt like I lost myself and in in the mire of trying to find myself again, having realised all of these things, I want to be a leader as a mother and I want to stand for something and I want my life to have meant something and I want to do good work and raise beautiful men. And I started to really resist my circumstances and I really struggled that year and
0: was it the monotony of raising small children?
2: I actually Because wrote, it's
0: painful. It, it is. can be. It well, can be I pain. wrote...
2: There was something I wrote at the time and it was, I feel like I'm scrubbing my dreams down the sink every day. Like I would stand at the sink every day. That was what I was... Exactly. So the monotony. Yeah. Big yeah. time. And it's the
0: relentlessness of wake up, cook, clean, only to have everything be exactly the same at yeah. the end of the day. It's... Sisyphean. Yeah, it is, <laughs> Sisyphean, <Yeah>. exactly.
2: <laughs> you just feel like you're just rolling this rock up a hill and then every day it rolls back down to the bottom. And I was not seeing the beauty then, but it was because I was trying to drink from an empty well. I was trying to to dig out. I was trying to get water from down the bottom where there's just mud and debris and darkness. and And so... I was dreaming of home and my people and, and the things that were happening at home and feeling like I felt like I had important things to say and I wanted to create a way to be heard. And, and all of a sudden I was away from all of that and I was journeying. I existed back here in my mind mm. and, you know, in my community. and You know, all my life I'd lived where the river met the sea. What was behind it? What was behind me? And how can I find out? And from Sydney, I was journeying the river in my mind and I'm not sure where it came from, whether it was a conscious decision or whether it just arrived in my soul as something that I had to do. Um, And the idea ended up being that maybe if I just go to the start of this river, I'll figure it all out as I go. Um, And so once that decision was made, um, I set about getting the skills and the knowledge and and applying myself to the task of becoming the person that could achieve that. Mm-hmm. And that was um, seeking the counsel of Indigenous Elders and learning from people. Anyone that had more knowledge than me, I wanted to just be around them and learn. And I did bush survival courses, navigation courses, um, Medicinal uses of plants, how to heal myself and care for myself in the wild, how to stitch myself up, how to stabilise broken bones, how to just survive in the bush without anything or anyone to help me. That's what I wanted to give to my children. Um, I wanted to know who I am underneath all of the conditioning, all of the things that I've been raised and told to be. I wanted to know what I looked like with all of that cut away. And so I really feel as though my big right my, my genuine rites of passage experience was was as a thirty something like I think I was 32, 32 year old woman on a river that was not when I was a teenage girl, you know. Or not
0: even becoming a mother.
2: Not even becoming a mother. No. No. It wasn't until I did The River that I really, really deeply connected with that suffering for beauty and that idea of really cutting yourself off from everything and going through an initiation and then returning completely changed. And and I really realise now that we... We do that. If we pay attention, we do that more than once in our lives. Mm. And I think that was the naivety that I approached that river with. Like, I thought that I'd do the river and get it out of my system and that would be it. I'd go back to who I was before and I'd get rivers out of my system. But rivers are, that's just who I am now. Like, it's... And I feel as though um, I will have several more experiences like that as a woman and that I'll experience them on rivers. Um, The next one that I'm doing is, I'm taking the boys on it with me, just me and the boys. And I feel like that's gonna be another transition for me as a woman as well. Um, Our boys break away from us, younger, you know, as as mothers, they pull away from their mothers first and they go into a stage where they need men around them a bit more, you know, and, and I know that that will be coming for me as time wears on. And I feel like this next river that I do with them will be something the three of us will never forget. We'll be journeying a river as well.
0: And they'll be out there under those stars with me as well. So you've prepared in your mind, in your body, in your heart for this journey, this 400 kilometre journey. And then what, does your family drive you out to the to the start of this great river? How did you
2: get there? No, so I have, um, so one amazing person that I met in South Africa was an explorer um, who mentored me through some of the things early on that I would need to know how to do. And he had said to me, um, kiss your family goodbye at home where they are comfortable and you are comfortable. Kiss them goodbye and hug them and step away and become the person that you need to be. So leave mum at home. And you can return to her when you see your family on the sand, but you need to go away and you need to be something different to do what you need to do. And so I said goodbye to them at home. And of course, they were so little, they didn't really understand. Three and five? Yeah, yeah. they didn't understand that I was going to go away from them. And I had a friend um, drive me to the source of the river or, or close to it and, um, and he was great. He's kind of ex-Navy. He really understood, you know, for the long car trip that we had that, you know, he, he was silent unless I wanted to talk or whatever. Like, he really let me go into who I needed to be. And right before I left, it was, was fraught with last-minute crossing T's, dotting I's. It, it wasn't a... Um, a, a peaceful kind of i I'm sure you can probably relate with... You've just left for your trip as well. It's, there's so many things that you've got to deal with before you yeah, take it.
0: Yeah, logistics. Logistics. But no doubt? Absolutely
2: no doubt, not a skerrick of doubt. Two years earlier when I decided that I was going to do this, I, I knew then that I, I wasn't the person that could do this trip but I had 100% faith that when the time came I would be because I would apply myself to, to becoming that. And so when I left, I had no doubt I wasn't afraid at all. There was no fear, none, genuinely so. But there were times in the lead-up where I was crippled with fear and that was because, you know, you 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 decide to do something like this and then you, you set about preparing and, and being ready and... And then in your research, you find out things that terrify you. And for me, the, very, the first moment of that was when I found out there were waterfalls on the river. The river, upriver, looks nothing like it does down here. Down here, it's wide and mighty and sort of still and quite calm-looking. So um, gentle. So gentle. It appears um, so it gentle. It appears so. The tides are pretty savage. You know, they're, they're quite mm. serious here. But, and they begin, you know, 100 kilometres up the river is where the tide will affect Um, in the river but beyond that I had no idea what would await me at the top until I started to really, I'd made the decision before I found out really what the river was like and when I found out there were waterfalls and that there was an impassable gorge that some eight or nine people have perished on, um, that terrified me and I remember feeling like I probably had two or three days quite crippled with that fear. It was a couple of sleepless nights, waking up, jolting awake. Um, And then the the process with that though became, I learnt it on this one and and I applied it at several other points in the preparation. It was, so you feel it, right? And you go through it. And then you accept it as a reality. And then you start to strategize around it as best as you can. And for me, the strategy with the waterfalls was, okay, the waterfalls exist, I'm really scared of them. I need to find someone with the knowledge of this area to teach me how to get through it safely. Mm. Um, I should flag that um, when I got the idea to do the trip, I'd never kayaked. So I was by no means an experienced <laughs> kayaker. <laughs> I'd never done it. <laughs> so I had to learn that too.
0: <laughs> and you chose an unusual craft.
2: Yes, I did. And I chose that all by myself. And I think an experienced person probably would not have picked the craft that I picked. Um, But it wasn't the
0: wrong craft, was it? It was the perfect craft.
2: It really, really was. in fact, if I had have been in anything different, I don't
0: think I would have made it. Can you tell me about that?
2: Yeah. Well, so the, the first one that I started off in was when I decided to do it, I just went on Gumtree and I found a $150 kayak and I bought it and went and picked it up off a guy in Bondi and took it down to Palm Beach and, and paddled for the first time down there at the beach, which was hilarious because I was trying to paddle. Like I had to get past waves. That was the wrong place. But anyway, so I started off in that, that, that boat and, that, and learnt, taught myself how to paddle. Um, and then we were sort of living on pit water at the time and that was a radical place to try and learn how to paddle. There's so much traffic in the water there. And the first time that I set off from where we, yeah, the first paddle... I remember putting my earphones in and just like I just thought oh I just need some Beyonce or something to like to get through this and I was blasting music and just charged out into the middle of the pit water and and just started to get my confidence up mm. and so that was the boat that I trained in a very very heavy boat 22, kilo, 22 kilograms and I knew that to do my trip that that wasn't going to work I needed something really light and the lightest boat that I could find was a an origami kayak made out of corflute. The corflute's like real estate science. It's really flexy, thin plastic. The boat was fantastic. It's a precision bit of engineering. It folds up into a backpack, basically. Not a small backpack, still a really big, awkward backpack, but still... It was very, very light. So 13 kilos was the lightest I could find. There wasn't a pack raft, which would have been problematic because of the nature of the terrain. It's very sharp sticks and sharp rocks. And, I mean, I did more climbing, scraping, scratching, crawling, dragging for the first 200 kilometres than I did any paddling. Um, It was virtually impenetrable at the top. And so this boat was perfect for that because it was so light and it really came into its own on the morning of the second day. I'd only just hit the river after all of this planning and I came to the top of a rapid section and I had um, really decided, you know, that I would play it safe the whole way down. I was by myself. I couldn't afford to be gung-ho and make silly decisions and, and so I, was, I wasn't running anything that I hadn't scoped or that I could see down the other side of. But on this rapid I did, I was so frustrated with my slow progress for the morning that I was sick to death of having to like climb and drag and, um, and I could see this rapid and I couldn't see down the other side of it but I ran it anyway and, and as I got to the top of it there was a drop on the other side and I was bumped off my line by a submerged rock and it jammed, the kayak got jammed, um, it had a boulder at sort of on the left hand side of the nose and then one on the right hand side so I was totally jammed and the flow of the water was um was coming through quite fast and the danger is is that if you you know if you flip if you if you capsize the boat the water can wash you under the boat and you you get trapped you can't flow under and then you can't fight the flow to go back the other way and you can drown really easily so um my primary concern was not drowning And, um, but in doing so, I, um, I, in sort of getting clear of the boat, I injured my arm. I didn't really know at the time. I was too busy running on adrenaline and whatnot. But as I cleared the boat, it, it sunk and, um, and it was under the water and I was standing on the bank, just looking at it thinking, there's no way this can be over. I've just got out here, but it was properly sunk. The boat was underwater and full of water. So I, you know, I took my bags off and then just looked at it for ages and then I remembered, you know, this thing comes apart. So over really, really just punishing, I think it was nearly three hours to salvage it, I went along the top of the boat and I could undo the ratchets to sort of start to loosen the hull and break it open to release the water weight. And the problem was that I'd been using the boat in, in salt water and I wasn't assembling and disassembling it. I was leaving it all the time, so everything, a lot of things, had corroded, and the ratchets were really kind of stiff. So it was pretty, um, pretty arduous. But I released it all and and pulled it off, and and it sort of sailed off the rock. There was a lot of cracking, and but it, I eventually got it off the rock and sailed it down to a spot where I could pull it ashore and put it back together. And yeah, and I thought, well, if it's if the boat still floats, then if it's going to hang in, then I'll hang in as well. So. And it, and it did, but I had to be very careful after that because the whole cockpit was crushed. So basically my legs didn't fit in the boat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it was crushed, so I had to paddle with my knees kind of up, kind of underneath. So I did like, oh, whatever, That ended up being 12 days of it, yeah, f- paddling like that. My legs didn't fit in anymore. But that was all right. I um, continued down downriver. And your arm? So, your broken arm? Yeah, so I didn't know, I had no idea of that at the time that just wasn't I wasn't worried just about pure that. Adrenaline. pure, pure yeah. adrenaline. Didn't feel yeah. any pain, nothing. Yeah. And so I went down and when I made camp that night it was belting rain and so I didn't have a fire. I went to bed and um, Did you have a tent? Yeah, I had a little yeah. tent. And I was in my tent and and then I started to become aware of my arm and I thought, Oh, what have I done to it? Um, so I had like the tiger balm out and I was really getting stuck into it, trying to massage it. I thought that I'd probably just had like a hematoma or something in there that I needed to break up. I've done karate since I was a little girl, so, I really, so I've got an awareness of, like I'm used to being knocked around, I'm used to bruises, I'm used to knocks and whatever else, and, and that's what you do, you know. If you get a bad knock, then you just got to work it out and break it up. So I sat in my tent and I was just got stuck into my forearm in this massive lump that I had and um, just massaging it. It was extremely painful, and then I went to sleep, woke up in the night just in radical pain. Mm. And then it occurred to me, oh, maybe I wasn't massaging a hematoma, maybe I was massaging a broken bone. <laughs> and um, and then that started to really mess with my head because I thought, okay, well, I obviously was able to paddle from, like structurally the arm functions. Mm. I was able to paddle down. but So anyway, I strapped it up and then from there, though, it was excruciating pain, like I had to just, alter the way that I was paddling. So on on the side where I'd hurt my arm, it was not, not the pulling motion. Like I was really rotating at the shoulder to stabilise mm-hmm. my lower arm and then using my other arm in a bicycle-type motion mm-hmm. um, so that this arm could just rest on the top of the paddle. And so I did that for the whole rest of the trip. Like a, uh, I just thought I'll just deal with my arm when I get back. As I got lower down the river, it's really funny, I, I went past this camp spot and someone yelled out to me, it was a, a man, and and he said, hey, and I said, hi, and he said, are you that ridiculous girl in that ridiculous plastic boat doing that ridiculous trip? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and he called me over and made me a cup of tea, and his wife was a nurse, and um, and she she looked at my arm and she said, yeah, it doesn't feel real good, but she wrapped it up for me and um Set me on my way with a couple of muesli bars, and and then I was right.
0: So <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, that reminds me of another really stunning aspect. Uh, well, shocking for me. You took no food with you. I'm like i I'm obsessed with snack preparation, just in general. But now as a as a new mom, also, I feel like I always have to be ready to feed the little one. Can you talk me through that decision?
2: Yeah, it was, again, it kind of feeds back into that philosophy and that space that I was in where I wanted to exist in this world without, without needing anything. Like I wanted to feel in my heart and experience what it would feel like to be able to exist and to completely sustain my own life with my own hands and my own knowledge and that's what I really really wanted to be able to give to my children like so that they could be able to do that too and so that was a big part of the journey was learning how to do that learning how to hunt and trap and and how to sustain myself from the land and the river and you know how to fish for bass that's I learned how to do that in the lead up because there's bass up where I was going and and the economy of getting a fish for instance and then Keeping the innards for bait to catch an eel, you know, and then keeping what you didn't eat from that to catch the next thing, and um, really only taking what you need. And I had a really massive daily bread moment like that when I got further down the river, and I came across a farmer who'd given me, you know, he gave me a packet of two-minute noodles you know and I wasn't telling people that I didn't have food but once people saw me I know I didn't see that many people I only saw a handful of people as I got down the river but um uh once they saw me they they just wanted to be a part of what I was doing and and to give in their own way and this farmer had given me this packet of two-minute noodles and I remember just eating it and they tasted so good because I'd been I wasn't hungry. That was a thing. You know, you change gears when you do a trip like that. Um, But but I remember thinking they tasted nice. And I went down to to the river. I turned on my headlamp to wash out my saucepan. And as I lowered it into the river, there were three turtles and a beautiful big eel that came in. And they were swimming all around me in the area that was illuminated underneath my head torch. And I just placed the saucepan down into the river and held it. And these four creatures, three turtles and an eel came in. And I watched them just eat the rest of this gift that I'd been given. Mm-hmm. And I had this real moment where I thought, you know, on another day, I, I would have needed to, to eat you, <laughs> but all of my needs have been provided for. I have my daily bread and, and I could share with them in that way. It was a really, really beautiful moment that was really moving and a real illustration of mm-hmm. only taking what you need. Um, and i was so provided for the entire way down the river was it's teeming with edible greens did you eat well yeah i ate so well i just mm. ate salad the whole way down pretty much you know it was it was all there and i'd spent time learning about those different things that i could eat and and just falling in love with how alive the land is and how most people kind of look at the look at the bush and i i did before and just see a A wall of different shades of green. But once you take the time to learn about it and learn what you can eat and how you can eat it and what parts of a plant you can eat and how you should prepare it, and there's just uh, 40 lifetimes, it'd never be enough to learn it all. And that's kind of what I thought this is what I want to teach the kids. This is what I want them to learn. You know, there's how can you live your life behind a screen when in the one life you've got, there'll never be enough time to learn everything. And, uh, and that was, um, was such a joy to, to bring them on that journey with me and, mm. and what I can't wait to really, really taste with them when we do this river trip together. Mm.
0: Mm. Connecting with uh, local Indigenous culture was a big part of your trip too, wasn't it? Yeah. Can you talk to me about some of the manifestations of that connection?
2: <sighs> we're, so, we're so blessed here. Our, our river travels through three Indigenous nations, Um, and and everybody that I connected with was so generous and loving with their knowledge. In fact, when I left on my trip, the the exact time that I left was based wholly and solely on the advice of one elder who I went to see. He was at the top of the river and I went to see him. Um, I'd been to see him a couple of times before I left and I went to him this last time. And um, one, of, one of the times that I'd gone out there and, I, and I, I asked him and his advice on what I was planning to do and if I could have his blessing to travel through his nation. And um, his first words were, you seem to be a lovely girl. I wouldn't want to hear the news. He was really, really worried about me, more the human threat. Um, of the top part of the river, Um, just it's so incredibly remote. And so he had sort of expressed some concern around me travelling down alone. What
0: kind of human threat?
2: Um, When I'd been to see the police as well, when I'd consulted the police and told them what I'd planned to do, they kind of said that there's an area out there that none of the police local area commands really claim dominion over. And so if people want to get away and not be found... It's an area that people will typically go to, and so yeah, there was a real concern that if I ran into the wrong person out there, there there was no safety net, hmm. um, and and that was a concern that was echoed uh, upwards of at least eight times. Independent warnings
0: that I got. I um, I heard that you're. Dad, in particular, expressed concern and scepticism about the trip as well.
2: Big time, yeah. And that was probably another huge part of my rites of passage journey was, um, you know, he'd given me away on my wedding day, but he could not give me away to the river. He could not. He just, he raised me to be the type of woman that could do this and to believe that I could do this. And yet, when the time came, he could not put aside his fear for my safety and my ability to do it and I think it was a real rites of passage journey for him as well Mm. because I went and I didn't leave with his blessing I went without it I tried to get it and he didn't back down I actually um, had a real period of really struggling mentally because of that and um and Dan who where we are right now um his house he was a huge help for me in the lead up to my trip he really helped me kind of talk through a lot of the mental side of how I was feeling and he ended up saying to me that you need to go and talk to your dad like Mm. you actually need to confront this Mm. and um and know one way or the other and and so I asked him to go for a walk with me on the trails out here where I've where he raised me and um and I hoped to come away with his blessing, I didn't. I came away with a shopping list of reasons why I would fail. But I was able to apply that that strategy of um, I, with of the waterfalls, you know. I was able to go, okay, now now that I know why you think I'm not gonna be successful, I can strategize around each of these things. Mm. And when I left, he actually really helped me. I, there were uncrossed T's and undotted I's that he helped me with in a roundabout way and, about 10 or 11 days in, I think the fear started to fall away from him and started to slowly be replaced with pride Mm. as he realised, I think she's actually going to pull this off and (laughs) and that's my girl. (laughs) (laughs) So so it was quite a beautiful journey as a family as well. Once, um, you know, the first, yeah, I mean the first, that top part was really serious navigating. Um, But as I got down lower, yeah, it started to, feel more on the home straight but the interesting part about that was that the first more than a week is you you totally change gears you go to a place where you know I wasn't feeling temperature I wasn't feeling fatigue I wasn't feeling pain I wasn't feeling all of those rapid fire thoughts that you have in civilized life in your mammalian brain, all of that falls away, mm. and I was this woman that went out there with so many questions, you know, I, that I wanted answers, and and I got out there and I didn't get answers, and I, but the questions didn't matter anymore. Everything just fell silent, and so I was very much in that space, and I had thought before I left that once I got to the home, sort of straight to the flat water, I thought that's it, I'm I'm home and hose. Like I know the flat water, I'll be fine. But the, the absolute opposite was true. Once I got to the flat water, I, I felt myself change gears and that relative sense of comfort came back in and safety and then all of a sudden everything hurt. I was in pain. I felt I was cold. I was tired. The last part of it was the head game. That's when all of the mental preparation that I'd done really engaged mm-hmm. because I hadn't needed I hadn't needed it before. I was so intensely in my senses. You know, mm. you're, everything's heightened, your sense of smell, your sense of sound. Your, I mean, your we're everything. basically living in fight or flight. Totally. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So you're just always aware of your surroundings. Yeah.
0: I'd like to pull you back into the Indigenous aspect of the, the trip. Yep. In particular, encountering a traditional women's birthing region. Is that true, what uh, I heard about? Dave was telling me about you encountering an area that was... I found, about that after, I found oh, out about okay. that after
2: the trip. Okay. Which was really interesting mm. because I had a very, very deep personal physical journey out on the river, which is so, I mean, so in, yes, in our Indigenous culture, we, the river is, is honoured as the mother, like mm. she is the mother. So there's a huge feminine energy you feel it very deeply. And I had hoped to be really shifted as a woman. Like I I knew that I, I didn't know what I needed, but I knew that I needed, I was called out there for something. There was some reason why I was called out there. And it was, it was really amazing what ended up happening. Um, I don't know, do I talk about, do I talk about it? It's like yeah. really Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. (laughs) Okay, cool. If you want to. Yeah, No, well, I think it's so fascinating. So I was out on the river for for 14 days and I'd done another trip. I had to go out on the river for four days right before I left. We Hmm. were filming some things for a brand I was working with and we we went out on the river for four days. I was home for four days and then I was leaving on my trip again. And in, in the four days in between that I was home, I wasn't due for my period, but I got it then. And I mean, that was kind of amazing as it was. It was just, there was this other knowing. So that happened. And I thought, okay, fantastic. I'll, I'll be right now. So I'll go out onto the river and I won't have to worry about that. And but as I came down the river, my whole cycle changed to be in sync with the river. So I ovulated out on the river really, really soon after that period that maybe wasn't even real but needed to happen but the really really fascinating thing that happened out there was um now my youngest is six years old now and I did the river two years ago so he was four so I hadn't breastfed a baby in probably three years and I started lactating out on the river did you feel
0: yourself fully engorge again I mean what was that yeah
2: Yes. So colostrum in the beginning. So, yeah. yeah. So not a lot, you know, not a lot. Yeah. But the fact that that part of my body was so activated and brought to life by the river was astounding.
0: Um, what can you put that down to? I have no idea.
2: I, I cannot explain it. And, in fact, when I asked there was a, a, my, my GP, he just said, that is way outside of the stuff that I know. <laughs> That's the perfect answer.
0: (laughs) Have you since spoken to indigenous elders about I mean, that's kind of an intimate topic to broach with (laughs) with someone you don't know, but or have you done research about the part of, I don't know. I've tried to I mean, what do you, what do like, you Google search? <laughs> <Are you laughs> Dating yeah. from river trip? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, I don't know. I have tried to ask questions. I've tried to. That to might be a one out. of a kind Google search. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> um, I haven't been able to, and it was really funny because I, I found myself like <laughs> craving some type of science to explain it. You know, I was like, what actually is this? Um,
0: but what did you feel?
2: Well, I couldn't help but feel that it was part of my connection to the river but also this deep, deep, deep fear that I had of the dingoes before I went out because I feel like it happened after after I – so I, so one night I had a call, the call go up next to me. There was The call went up, I was lying in my tent and I felt fear grip my heart like a vice. It just – my heart was just in this tiny box that it didn't fit into. And I remember holding my breath as, as they were calling and just being terrified. And then just gradually starting to submit, starting to, it was releasing and I, I heard this call. It was answered on the other side of me and I had this feeling of going, oh, my God, they're around me and being so afraid and then feeling it wash away and just going ah oh, this is mm-hmm. i'm i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be and i'm not scared anymore like i felt like i was i felt alpha as well i felt like i was part of them and part of every part of where i was and it wasn't fear anymore it was just connection so yeah. after that like i was really deeply shifted by that mm-hmm. And I recall that the, the milk came in
0: after that. Not immediately, but... It was a full rebirth, your own birthing. Totally. It was so profound. That's incredible.
2: And I had this feeling, I had another really powerful moment where I'd got into this flat pool and these swans had taken off as I, I came into it and my hair was like messy and I was just sort of pulling my hair out. And I watched my hair, like my, my blonde hair, not break the surface tension of the water but just as I paddled away I looked over my shoulder at it and it sort of went off and then I saw it just touched where there were black swan feathers on the surface tension of the water too and I saw my hair go to the feathers and as I paddled away I thought my DNA is scattered from the very beginning of this river to the very end I've lost skin and blood and tears and sweat and nails milk milk (laughs) Everything I've left so much here and I had that real experience of of that oneness of feeling like you know I'm part of this and I, like I'm drinking this water you know mm. I'm sustaining my life from it and and it was drawing life from me mm. and and it was so incredibly powerful and um and I felt that echo in me again since the bushfires came through that was um I grieved so deeply as the fires came through, and I've been in fires before, but this one really, really hurt a lot. And um, it was just so hot, and it was it was such a hot fire. We hadn't had a big one in a really long time, and mm. there was so much fuel. And um, yeah, I just kind of took the time to be really sad. I thought, you know, mm. I spent so much time connecting with the land and the water, and um, mm. and and I can't not. Feel it when it feels pain as well, which is how I can't turn my back on on the threats that are facing the river now as well. Like it's, I feel like I got my life back out
0: there. And, and sounds like that trip was about belonging. It cha- fundamentally changed how you related to the place that grew you and nourished you. And so many of us don't take the opportunity or create the opportunity to sink our DNA back into the elements around us but you've done that and it seems like it's changed you yeah i don't think I, I, I can't change back and that
2: was the thing with like how yeah i don't know why i thought that i could go and do one river and and go back to my old way of living
0: you know it's um how do you go back to being mom again after well, and and re- because you you run businesses and you, you know, you you work and you raise these boys and you're a partner and you, I mean, how do you go back to the monotony again after you've really found your wildness in the way that you had?
2: It doesn't feel monotonous anymore. Mm. It really doesn't. And of course, like we have moments like any family where there's frustrations and there's chaos and, and whatever else, but it just taught me such an intense presence that Mm. I can access any moment I want. And I still, you know, I have everything that everyone else has, you know, as a mom and those and the challenges that we all have, but that I can step back there anytime I want. It's available to me. I've felt it. And it, and it gave me an intense gratitude on so many levels, but a big part of it was to my husband. So grateful to him for trusting me with my life. He trusted me with my life. Mm. I'm the mother of his children and his wife and he, he let me go. And I say that not as a, a permission thing, but he, 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 he gave me that space with all of that trust and I'll never forget that gift. And my children did as well. I left them to do this and it never felt selfish to me it felt like a genuine act of altruism because it allowed me to go and learn, you know, grow, give, learn, teach. I can't keep giving to anyone unless that well is replenishing so that everyone can drink the fresh water that we as women need to flow every single day. And so it it always felt like, It was an act of service. Mm. And I knew that the real work would begin once I came home from the river. And it has. And it's I've kind of just dedicating my life to this direction Mm. now.
0: And can you talk about what you're working on now?
2: Well, we were it's it's crazy, you know, like I've we think of mountains and we think of rivers and nature as these huge majestic forces which they totally are but this trip that I've just done with with my dear dear friend our mutual dear friend Dan Ross um who's a childhood friend
0: of mine um we both
2: big wave surfer
0: coach all around legend incredible waterman incredible waterman and um and person
2: and friend and um we've just gone back up river a few months ago um I, I found out about some threats that are facing us here and people kind of talk to me about the river, you know, they know that I, it's it's my love and so I hear things a lot. And when I heard that there, there were eight exploratory mining licences in the headwaters of our river, I was shocked and I couldn't believe it. And when I heard that there are ridge lines that are sort of being dubbed cobalt ridge because the mineral grades are so high and, and, and copper grades are 10 times as rich as the global average. And when I, this information started to filter through, I felt terror. And that was one issue. And then around the same time, there was talk of, you know, we're suffering through a terrible drought right now. Um, well, Well, climate change. So there are four councils out west that want to dam the headwaters and pipe water out to western municipalities. So when I heard they wanted to mine the river and dam the river as well, I wanted to find out more. And I spoke to Dan. We spoke to two other dear friends of ours who are filmmakers, um, Thunderbox Films, and I don't know how, that, how it came about either, but it was just this unspoken decision that was made that we've got to do something about this. And then the wheels... and this is the
0: Clarence River. And this Sorry. is the Clarence River. This What's is... the Indigenous name for the
2: Clarence River? Um, I can't, I, I wouldn't want to say it exactly just okay. how they say it, but okay, it's okay. Um, Bidimba.
0: Bidimba.
2: Yeah. And um, it's, it's, quite, it's really hard to believe. So we basically, we went back up the river recently and sort of tried to recreate the trip that I did, but we couldn't start at the headwaters because there's no water in the river. So we started about over 100 kilometres down and even then we were in ankle deep water dragging and having no water in the river. But we did journey to some of the most remote and wild spots and really I just loved taking. I I felt like I'd come down, you know, when I came down I was this this mother-daughter kind of womanhood journey and this time I felt like I took my brothers there. And so we're, we're making a film to, to show people what's upriver. Most people will never kind of have no idea what it's like. You know, we, we travel to Kakadu and to all of these jewels of this continent and we've got one right here that most people have no idea about. And um, so this journey's really been about taking people upriver and showing them some of these remote and wild places and... And it's just no place to be drilling holes and risking open-cut mining on ridge lines that angle down into this beautiful river. What's the risk? The risk is so incredibly high. I mean, with, particularly with copper mining, with the tailings dams, they're toxic. And the runoff will go straight down into tributaries of this river and will flow down. I mean, it's been all over the world there are examples of this failing And that's on the mining side. Then on the damming side, we've only got to look at what we've managed to do with the Murray and the the Murray Darling and what more evidence do we need? And that's sort of a big part of what I hope this film will kind of bring to light, not just no mining and no damming, but looking at the fact that we're facing a new crisis, certainly with the water, so we need new solutions. We can't sort of be rehashing these things that we've done that don't work and and then also with water allocations and the way irrigators can can access water like it's we've got fires everywhere I mean there's so much going on right now that it's not the way forward.
0: Are there groups or organizations who feel like are doing work to move us toward those solutions?
2: There are fantastic people doing fantastic work in so many different pockets and this journey that we've been on has really been a journey of learning. We haven't gone out as as experts, we don't have all the answers ourselves, but Mm. as people who love this land and who love everything about it and as people who want to protect it and Mm. not risk it, we're, we're very much on a journey of learning and I hope that the film... Is inclusive, you know. We don't want to demonise people upriver. Everybody needs water. It's mm. not about that. It's not about an us and them, and you can't have our water and mm. and whatnot. It's about really turning the mirror on ourselves and looking at the value shift that is needed. That's the space that we we offer this film in. Is how can we stand shoulder to shoulder and look forward
0: mm. and not face to face. Mm. Actually, I have one more question. Yeah, you're a freshwater person. Are you do you identify as a freshwater person? So the the book that I gave you is called Of the Ocean. Yeah. Because all my life, that's
2: who I was. I was a saltwater person. Mm. I grew up here, and we grew up in the ocean, in the sea, fishing, and out on the lake, Lake Willoughby. And um, so that is very much who I who I was. And in that journey of of finding who I was behind that. That led me to the fresh water and, and to the mountains and then to the land and this deep journey of connection and that was another really, really powerful moment of coming down the river and when the water turned from fresh to brackish, mm. that was a really powerful moment too and then it happened again when I felt myself come out of the river and into the sea when the rhythm of the waves started to, to move me as well, mm. that was hugely powerful. So. I don't really know how to answer it, because
0: I think I'm both. Just a water person. Yeah,
2: just a water person.
1: In classic Australian style, Hayley is so blasé about so many things that are unbelievable and that you would love to talk about. You know, your she wasn't even going to so,
0: mention <laughs> breaking her arm.
1: Or that she didn't take any food and all of these hilarious things. That just things blew me away. That, yeah, is just really striking. And also she happens to be an amazing poet, a great lyrical writer and poet and organiser of, you know, poetry slams and all that kind of stuff. So for me, hearing her break down her trip in a lyrical way where the words really mirrored the journey, for me they just spill into each other like... You know, a cascading river. Uh, that's just such a beautiful thing and a great way to interpret such a big experience. You know, yeah, it's just really enjoyable.
0: Mm. So, Haley's going to read one of her poems now, the sort of summarization of that big solo kayaking mission she did down the Clarence. And we hope you enjoy.
2: Presence, presence. Presence, the omnipresent essence, the crescents that followed me all the way down. The new moon, the new name, the blackness of who she was lost to the stars of who she became decisions. Decisions, decisions, the incisions in the monotony I massacred, butchered and then sutured with the needle and thread of separation, initiation, return. Separation, initiation, return. Separation, initiation, return. The burn of the yearn to answer the call before last drinks on life, kiss goodnight to the drunk housewife, the dead notes lay beside her in the grave. The unsung songs of the life unpaved, the trail unblazed, the maze unamazed, it's too much to bear. I jolt from slumber with a shiver before remembering I'm safely out on the river, away from the dread in my head, in the comfort of my bed. Every stroke less a joke to those who chose to hose down my dream. Gently, gently, gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but the cream. Whipped by the luscious joy of the unbeen and the unseen. Of the adventure before the dementia takes out a lean on who you could have been if only you had have acted on those dreams. It's a common theme. That in the scheme of the everyday slips away until the years tick over like a one-leaf clover. The lover you let go, the trips you didn't take. The mistakes you didn't make, the big breaks you didn't break. Big, a snapping twig, what was that? It doesn't matter. Whatever perils hide in the darkness around me, they're nothing compared to the internal chatter that has tried to drown me. The night, I was grabbed. Stabbed from my sleep like a baby sheep, the river came upon me and called me to the deep. I obeyed. I broke camp, switched on my headlamp, but it was useless in the thick black mist. I turned it off, paddled hand over fist. All I could see was the outline of the tops of the trees. I bounced off branches, stirred the river dances, woke the sleeping creatures, learned the lessons instinct teaches as I paddled blind for hours. After four I couldn't take any more as suddenly from somewhere unexplained I felt I was being sucked down a drain. My boat was being pulled hard down and back. I was under attack by a mother. It couldn't have been any other. I felt her hands, the black water claiming her river daughter. But I myself, more mother than daughter, more woman than water charged hard against her cold grasp. Charged hard as I could till I hit the bank, jumped straight onto the land with a full tank of adrenaline. Fight and flight, ready to fight despite the fright. For 45 minutes, I ran on the spot so my core body temp didn't drop. It was 4.30 a.m. by this stage. Five hours since I'd broke camp, my clothes were damp and I was in no mood for hypothermia. That'll learn ya, I said to myself as I pitched my tent on the cow dung mud flat and climbed into rest. The litmus test was two hours later when the alarm went off. What a crazy dream, I thought, as I unzipped the tent and realised as out I leant that it wasn't a trick of the night or a sleep torment. I was on the cow dung mud flat and the mad descent into which I went, it had all been real. Further still, the water in front of me was completely unmoving. No pudding in the proving by way of bubbling boiling water or rapids to explain what on earth I couldn't name. The hands that tried to stake their claim, fair game to the river dames. Salute to the sun. I packed up and moved on, vowing no more paddling in the dark. Not four nights later, fucking fuck, another 16 hours stuck on the Black Fog River. I'd been so afraid of the dingoes and wild dogs before I came out. Attacked by two on a beach in Byron, they'd come for my nine-week-old baby. Thankfully, instinct kicked in and I went completely crazy. Driving them back with my wildness taught me that mildness can get you killed and that indecision is just a decision that wears a blindfold. I remember the first night I heard them, told to keep my fire burning during the night and they'll stay away from the leaping light. One voice went up, calling over me into the dark and was answered in my heart as the voices called back, not in tones of attack, but in multiple layers of harmony. At least three parts stirred a calm in me like honey that smothered any worry as I realised this song they sung was my song and had been in me all along. I remember the night the stars were too beautiful to see. I couldn't bear that magnanimity without my loved ones under it with me. I realised how wild I had become, how all of my conditioning had come undone. The paradox of existing in one's senses and coming to one's senses is bordered by fences erected between humans and creatures with features of sentience, kindness and love. The humbling I felt as I knelt beneath the diamond canopy above and drank straight of the genesis the freedom, the fencelessness, before being shot by the senselessness of so many of us tangled in our own safety nettedness. I spear my paddle into the earth and vow to surf life, to ride the tides, a calligrapher on the waves that come before that final setting sun. I'm a mum, like nature, like the earth, and yet perhaps it was the river that truly taught me about birth, about labouring, about suffering, fighting down from the source, growing and flowing down the watercourse, the impenetrable tangles of vine, thorn, dead wood, exfoliating my soul as only she could. She took my skin, my tears, my hair, my nails, my blood. She broke my body and washed me clean, baptising me in her emerald stream, carrying me home, nourishing me, loving me as a child with the harsh discipline of the wild. Yet for all her rage, she taught me about being still, how nature folds back in around you, When you have the will to kill off the ego that tries to rule and can submit to the jewel of the now. The eco-circle, not the ego pyramid, this next little tale is about a friendly arachnid who made his home mid my knees. No permission, no pleas, no council approval, no scheduled removal, his innate trust in me was incredibly moving. That my stillness could be so soothing, a tiny little spider chose my body for its home the metronome of my heart becoming full-grown to see the whole world in a grain of sand, the comedy made of human hands by a tiny spider and his silk as he wove us together with honey and milk. He wasn't afraid as he bound us three, his tiny life force to my kayak and me, a serene symbiosis and the hypnosis of oneness, a home for him and a lesson for me in human, deaf, blind and dumbness. Why did I go? It's the question people most want to know. All my life I'd lived where the river met the sea. What was behind it? What was behind me? Where do oceans begin? Where are rivers born? Why do we find ourselves so forlorn, so torn between riding storms and dictated norms? We have one life, one chance. One chance to dance with our potential, to romance the unknown and the experiential. The only credential that means anything when the death certificate is signed is did you live and love well and leave some beauty behind? This paddle was never about me, it was about us, it was about we is about this, about story, about community. So if I sit here today as any sort of advice giver, I hope it's this, that when you get to the end of this podcast, you ask yourself, what's my river?
0: Thanks to Haley for so generously sharing her story and for the important work she's doing. You can learn more about Haley on Instagram at Haley Talbot. That's at H A Y L E Y T A L B O T. Special thanks always to our sound engineer and musical guru Shannon Soul Carroll. Learn more about his gigs and musical activism on Instagram at Shannon Soul Carroll. That's Carroll with two L's. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thank you so much for making the time to listen with us. We'll be continuing the conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find show notes and links, including links to Haley's petition to protect the Clarence River on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com.